Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. You know, I've lost count of the number of times that I've got up to preach and started off by saying, isn't it great when God starts in the worship to cover some of the things that you want to talk about in the preach? It really makes you feel as though you're heading in the right direction. And this morning, with what's come up about Esther, I feel that's just a confirmation yet again. Over the past four months or so, we've been working through a series looking at the biblical and kingdom values which are key to who we are as a church together and how we believe they are going to shape us as we continue to grow. And this week we're looking at the next of those values which I think is about number 15 And we find it's very much in keeping with a number of the ones that we've looked at recently. Over the past few weeks, Joel has taught on empowerment of the poor. And then, I think it was last week, Bob explained our position as we understand what it is to be one new man in Christ. Both of those values start to dictate to us the attitudes that we're looking to have as we reach out as a church into the community. And this week's value very much builds on that foundation and then extends those values further and starts to show the church's function in society. The value is this. We want to be a church which is proving to be both salt and light in its location, impacting the culture of the community. Some of you will from time to time have heard me tell stories of various gifts that I've been given over the years, often at Christmas. And you know that there's one that has always stuck in my mind, although perhaps not for the right reasons. There have even been some amongst you who have tried to outdo the person who gave me this particular gift, but so far have failed. Perhaps because you've got too much of a conscience to be able to put us through such an ordeal again, You've given yourself away before the festive day has arrived. For those who haven't heard the story, it starts one Christmas morning, some years back now, when our girls were a bit younger. We were living in Bedford at the time, and my mother-in-law lived only a few hundred yards away from us. And she'd come round during that morning to see some of her grandchildren opening their presents. Now, we had a ritual. We didn't let the kids just pile in first thing in the morning. They had a stocking up by their bed. And then, after 
we got dressed and got to a more civilised time of the day when we'd eaten and had breakfast. They'd open the cup of presents. And then at lunchtime, we'd often gather with wider family and start to open presents properly. And what would happen would be one person would go to the tree and pick a present, see who it was for, and they would open it. And then that person would go and pick a present for someone else. And gradually the part of presents would diminish. As the process worked through that particular morning, we got to a point where my mother-in-law, obviously with great delight, went to the tree, picked up a present that was for me. It was from her. The look on her face made it quite obvious. It was something she'd chosen with great care. A present she was sure that I would love. It was cylindrical in shape. Probably slightly larger than a house brick. It was heavy. It had a solid feel to it. As I just held it in my hands for a moment, it felt like there was a layer of bubble wrap under the paper. It was obviously something that needed some protection. I removed the outer gift paper and I found I was right. It had bubble wrap inside. But I was still none the wiser about the content. But then as I broke the seal on the tape on the bubble wrap and removed the contents, all very quickly became clear. She had lovingly chosen for me a terracotta jar containing a blue Stilton cheese. What equally became quickly apparent was that having bought it some six weeks previously, she hadn't thought about the need to keep it refrigerated. The smell that came from the freshly opened package can't describe, except to say the cheese was now ripe. Somehow I managed, whilst fighting for my breath, to get out the words, Oh, Moena, <coughs> I think this might need to go in the fridge. I was rescued by my wife, who gallantly took the package and put it outside the back door while I caught my breath and thanked my mother-in-law for her most thoughtful gift. She was none the wiser. And to those dear friends who have thought that they could outdo that experience more recently by putting too fresh mackerel under our Christmas tree, you failed. <laughs> Your inability to keep a straight face and the interest of our cats gave you away. But that incident always reminds me of something. That without proper preservation, things quickly start to rot and decay. And although that's true of food, it's true of our society as well. In the United Kingdom, we have the highest level of drug addiction in Europe. The number of couples getting married has reached its lowest point since 1962. Schools are sending home 2,200 children a day for disruptive behaviour. 
violent crime by women has reached an all-time high, with an average of 250 women being arrested for violent crime every day. 58% of 14 to 17 year olds have seen pornography. 40% are sexually active. Over 41,000 women under 18 fall pregnant every year. 49% of them have abortions. Since abortion was legalised in the UK something just over 40 years ago, 7 million children have been aborted. Everywhere you look, there are signs of decay. And that epidemic is not isolated to our own country. Similar statistics can be echoed in other nations. And as a result, we have to ask ourselves something. Why is the church not making more of a difference? Against that backdrop, Jesus told us to be salt and to be light. This is what it says. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven having laid out in the beatitudes the fact that it is those who pursue things that are different to the world who will find God. He tells us to be salt and light. 
Now those are quite evocative pictures of how the church is meant to be in our society. Salt has many qualities. It preserves. It holds off decay. And if the church is going to be as salty as it should be, we wouldn't be seeing the levels of decay and corruption that we do in our society. Light penetrates the darkness. It brings revelation and it helps people to see the truth. The church is shown in the picture as a beacon, a beacon of hope, showing up sin for what it is and bringing revelation through the preaching of the gospel. And whilst we quite rightly want to build an excellent church that brings glory to Christ, our influence should go far beyond our meetings. We should be having a tangible effect on the society around us. As individuals, that means that we need to take responsibilities for the environments in which God has put us. And that's where the story of Esther links in. She found herself in the court of a king. It says in the story, for such a time as this, at just the right time, she found herself suddenly having influence in circles that she didn't expect. We need to look at that in terms of our workplaces, our colleges, our streets, our neighbourhoods and our schools. We need to be being a positive influence, both through our actions and through our proclamation of the gospel. As a local church, we need to be starting to have an impact on the community through social action and through care for the poor, through providing for the needs of society and through making a positive presence in their midst. One of the benefits of working together as part of a family of churches that stretches right across the nations is that we can also look to make a difference together, nationally and internationally, as God allows us. Bishop William Temple summed it up when he said, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. But this isn't a new concept. This concept starts right in the earliest parts of the Bible. Because Adam was given a mandate. It was a core component of everything that we were created to do. You can read about it in Genesis 1, in the sixth day when God created man. He instructed him, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. For some reason probably to do with the fall. 
we found it far easier to fill the earth than we have to subdue it. Fill the earth was clearly a command for Adam and Eve to have children. From that beginning, it was God's intention that the whole earth would be filled with people who bore his image and represented his handiwork. Today there's about 8 billion people on the planet. I suppose you could be forgiven for thinking, but it's been filled enough. But many of those who are living on the earth today don't know their creator and they don't see God's image in them and how it has been marred by sin. Jesus came to restore the image of God in man. So in addition to giving birth to physical children and raising them in a godly manner, we are called to give birth to spiritual children through evangelism, bringing people back to the likeness of Christ through the power of the gospel. The term subdue, it's a, it's a, it's a rich word. It's got many layers to it, but it's something that speaks of cultivating, protecting, taking responsibility and bringing order. Adam was placed in the garden and he was told to cultivate it. Today, our call remains the same. We are to cultivate the environment around us to the glory of God. Even the most beautiful garden, when left untended, soon becomes overrun with weeds. But God's creation mandate was this. We are to be gardeners. Pulling up the weeds, tending the plants and drawing out the beauty of creation. The implications are vast. Because it says we have a God-given responsibility that goes beyond simply building churches and winning the lost. We are called to shape the whole of creation. And that needs us all to play our part, whatever our differing background, whatever our talents and passions, in order to bring this to the world. John Cadbury understood that. In the 1820s, alcoholism was rife. Water was so polluted at the time that the people drank gin in large quantities. And so society became plagued with drunkenness. And that led to poverty and to crime. Cadbury took it upon himself to find a solution. He established a business. It provided cocoa and chocolate as alternatives to alcohol. And for many years, the Cadbury family was actively involved in social reform, campaigning against the use of children to clean chimneys, fighting for the rights of the underprivileged. 
They set high standards for the care of their workers. They paid good salaries. They provided education, health care and pension schemes. For over half a century, they ran Bible readings and morning prayers. In the late 1890s, John Cadbury's sons purchased a plot of land and built affordable housing that had space for gardens and trees. And he made them available to employees and non-employees alike. By taking responsibility, by striving to be salt and light, the Cadbury family made a remarkable and lasting impact on their society. And it still exists today. We need to live with that same kind of vision. Fill the earth, subdue it, be salt, be light. We need to evangelise, but we also need to transform culture. We need to preach the gospel and care for the poor. As individuals, we need to be salt and light in our localities. We need to ask ourselves the question, how can I cultivate the area of the world in which God has placed me? For some, it might be just by being an outstanding worker for your employer. It might be as simple as refusing to gossip in the office. For others, it might be, mean visiting an elderly neighbour or being a positive influence among other parents and teachers at the local school. Particularly relevant for us as we look to develop a more permanent base is that as a local church we need to impact our communities in practical ways so that our neighbourhoods are better places in which to live. The streets should become safer, the neighbours more trusting, the children able to play in safety in public space. Unbelievers should miss our church deeply if for any reason it was to close. And we need real wisdom about how to know to use our resources. We need to remember there are times when as a local church we should be supporting those who are championing change. Because we can't always lead the way ourselves. Not because we've suddenly lost faith in the church, but because rather that as a local church, we find ourselves lacking in the skill set necessary to campaign for some forms of structural reform. And so reform might require making an allegiance with a political party in a way that is inappropriate for the local church. Something may cost more than an individual church can successfully raise and manage. And on those occasions, we shouldn't be afraid to release the next generations of reformers into their calling, supporting them with prayer and with encouragement, in the hope that they will become the Cadburys, the Wilberforces, or the Shaftesburys of the next generation.
breadth of the commission to be salt and to be light is huge. Because it encompasses everything. And so it requires us all to play our part. The gospel needs to work its way into every area of society. The salt needs to be rubbed deep down into the cracks. The light allowed to penetrate even the smallest and darkest of places. No part of this world should be beyond the reach of God's reign. No millimetre of creation should escape his redeeming touch. The potential is enormous. You know, I'm genuinely excited about all that God was going to achieve through us if we commit ourselves to being salt and light in this world. So I just have some questions this morning. Are there environments in which God is calling you to be salt? To stop the corruption? To stop the rot? And start being a preservative? Are there areas in which you are called to shine the light? To expose? To bring truth? How effective is your witness in that area? Are you being salt and light? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you in those situations? And are you prepared to make a stand for justice where it's necessary? What about purity? What about the things you watch and read and take part in? Do they honour God? Or do you just join in with your mates? Or are you going to take that hard stand to step away and remain pure in your heart? When people cause you trouble, how do you react? Do you react with anger or do you remain calm and peaceful and seek to allow God to speak restoration into the situation? Are there situations that you need to grieve about? Disappointments and losses? Because we need to acknowledge and mourn things that don't work out. God promises comfort, and with comfort we can help others. Are you rejoicing today for what Jesus has done? Is that joy evident in your life? You know, if you know you are facing situations where, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're called to be salt and light. Let's pray for you this morning. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.